my, my, my. Oh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly before him. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 84. Mm, 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 mm. You know, I can just get in a flow and begin to worship God, and it's years of reading the word and hiding it in my heart, and it just starts to like pump up like a well, like a spring. And I, can, I can hear that. I hear those sounds. I hear, I hear, I hear the comfort. I hear the strength. I hear his grace and his blessing and his favor. I don't know about you, man. I'm telling you, I'm so glad 2020's in the rearview mirror, but there's a little 2020 kind of trying to linger into my 2021. <laughs> But I still believe God's going to do some crazy, amazing, wonderful things in our lives this year. I believe that with all of my heart. Thank you for logging in to various social media platforms and whatever venue you were, or medium that you were viewing this on. In our live service on Sunday morning, January the 31st, uh, began here at 10 a.m. Or if you're watching it sometime later in the week. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, folks, for coming out um, in the middle of still battling the pandemic and the, the stuff that is all around us. I just want to say, I just want to say, I think that song, whether Scott or Sydney chose it this week, is so powerful, and we need to meditate that fear can go to hell, and shame can go there, too. There is so much. There's so much terrorizing in the hearts of the people, not just in this nation, but around the world. There's been just misinformation that's been sown on social media, and, and, and the media is not helping it either, just with every constant 24-hour barrage of the springing up of these new variant strains of the virus, and just folk just terrified. And I'm telling you, we want to be wise, but we do not have to live in fear. Come on, somebody. I, I just want to say this. I, 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 I'm not ready to go, but I'm going to tell you, if I do, if it's my time, there's not a greater blessing than to see him face to face. And because of that, I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to live it with some joy, and I'm not going to live in the restraint or the limitation of fear that is not godly. Can somebody help me a little bit this morning? God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of, again to fear. Romans 8, 15 says, we've been, been, been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry of a father. We're no longer slaves to fear. Hallelujah. This is the fifth in the series reset. I've enjoyed this series. I hope that you've gotten something out of it. We've talked about what it means to look at the front of the year as the calendar changes. It's always a special, especially a significant time for me because my birthday is at the end of December. And my birthday has been dedicated every year of my life to sitting down and journaling and thinking about what happened in the year prior and planning some things for the year ahead and looking to God we learned in this series, in the very first message, where we talked about reviewing the past and renewing for the future, that we look backward to thank God and we look forward to trust God. Somebody say amen. The next week, we talked about the importance of repentance, and we learned that nothing changes if nothing changes. 
Repent very simply means to change your thinking, change your mind. Once your mind is changed, behavior follows belief. What you think about something is much more critical than the something that you're dealing with. The devil's not your problem. It's what you think about the devil that's your problem. Your problem is not your problem, but what you think about your problem is your problem. You need, as Zig Ziglar used to say, a checkup from the neck up because this is where the issue is right here. We gotta think differently. We gotta look at things. We gotta turn it around and examine and learn to see from a fresh perspective. Somebody say amen. Next, we talked about recommitment, devoting ourselves to worshiping God, applying the word of God in our lives, and finally, giving ourselves to the work of the Lord. Let me just thank you for those of you, while we were out, for your continuing sowing your seeds, generosity, giving your tithes and offerings. We, we're not by any stretch of the imagination and in a surplus state here, but we're grateful that we've never had a late payment yet, and we've not had to lay anybody off. So let all the people of God say, praise the Lord. If you're not tithing, I just want to say to you that it's one of the greatest things that will ever happen in your life. You will see God's favor come and bless you like you have never seen it before. When you actually let Jesus be Lord over your finances, you'll start to see things stretch like you've never seen. You'll start to see blessings and favor show up like you've never seen before. I dare you to try it if you've never done it before. Follow the leading of the Lord. The next week, last week, we talked about realignment, getting ourselves in agreement and congruent spirit and soul and body. We talked that it is the, the, the soul of man where the success lies. That's the issue of where I'm thinking about the situation. My mind, what I think, my will, what I want, my emotions are what I feel. And I have to lose my suke. I have to lose my soul life so that I can gain the eternal Zoe life of God because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His mind is greater than my mind. His will is more perfect than my will is. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And the critical thing is, is that we don't want the soul joining with the body because when we do, then we've got a majority that gangs up against the new creation in our spirit, okay? And so many times folk psychologists talk about psychosomatic diseases. Soma is the Greek word for body. Psych, psyche, or suke from the Greek, is where we get psychology or the study of the soul. Psychosomatic symptoms are those that are not literally physiological, but they are, called, they are caused by the condition of a person's thinking. That's how powerful your soul is. So when we can get our soul and our spirit in congruence, and lined up together, in agreement together. How many of you know God says he will move heaven and earth for us to, to deal with the circumstances and the obstacles we face? Somebody say amen. All right, so that's the quick review. This morning, we're jumping into number five, and this finishes this one. Excited about Pastor Jeremy will be speaking next Sunday and uh, giving us a uh, DNA moment in terms of our local church. We're gathering back again. We've got to begin to rebuild uh, some folks obviously still are not comfortable in coming, and we bless you as you are worshiping at home. Please do everything you can to stay connected, if at all possible. Our prayers are that by the fall that things will have begun to return to some degree of normalcy, and we can actually institute a round of life groups and some fellowships in our homes. And certainly, if not in our homes, then we're going to try and line up some things where some folks can have some Zoom Bible studies um, among various groups and 
And so we're, we're, at, we're making plans to resume, to begin to rebuild. All of our teams need to be rebuilt. We need you. If you can come to church on Sunday for an hour, guess what? While you're here, you can, you can help. You can take temperatures. You can pass out masks. You can pass the bucket or hold the bucket at the end. You can help seat people. You can usher. There is a place to serve. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. We need you. So this morning we're talking as we finish uh, reassignment. So we've reviewed and renewed, we've repented, we've recommitted, we have realigned, now we're reassigning. God is putting us back into, put me in coach, and he's given us a play, and this is the play this morning. Here we go. My text is in two locations, a little bit of reading today, total of about five or six verses, so just hang with me, just listen, you don't have to read out loud. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Everybody say all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, Jesus is saying, look, I've got all of this authority. And from that authority base, I am delegating to you. Therefore, because I have this, I am empowering you. I am authorizing you. Therefore, go. You know something? I want you to recognize that this is part of God's nature. God, two-thirds of God is go. God is about being on the go. God is about taking the message. He's about putting light into dark places. Come on, somebody. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey. Everybody say obey. To obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. Get this, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm authorizing you. I'm instructing you, giving you the message to preach. I'm giving you the method to carry it out. And guess what? While you go, I'm going to be with you as you go. Now, let's, let's not check out and think, well, this is not a message for me. This is about missionary callings. No, this is not about go to Africa or go to the islands or go to Asia. This is as you are going into the world. Literally in the Greek, it is as you are going, then be making disciples. We are called to be a voice of influence in the culture around us. Somebody say amen. And then the second thing is how we do it. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied, a young man had come up and asked about the greatest of the commandments. The scripture says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The ten are summed up in the two, okay? It's really kind of cool when you look back. Remember, there were ten spies that went into the promised land that said, we're not able to do it, but there were two that said we can. There were ten tribes that left, went into idolatry, but there were two that remained faithful. Talking Old Testament history now. I don't think it's a coincidence that there were 10 commandments that cannot be possibly fulfilled in our own strength. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in the two. We can learn to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Guess what? When we love, when we live out of a life of love, we end up keeping the 10 that are impossible to keep in our own strength. 
It, come on, put your hands together. Isn't that beautiful? One thing, one thing. The church is God's instrument in advancing his kingdom because he has not changed his mind. The great commission and the great commandment remain God's mission and God's method to accomplish it. Now, I want you to read this out loud with me, please. It bears repeating. Here we go. The church is God's instrument in advancing his kingdom. Because he hasn't changed his mind, the great commission and the great commandment remain God's mission and God's method to accomplish it. So we've got a strategy and we have, we have a vision and we have a strategy. We have a way to accomplish what God is asking us to do. The great commission is the mission of God. The great commandment is the method that he gives us, the strategy that he gives us to carry it out. Some churches emphasize the great commission and are a little light on the love part. They're all about truth. Other churches emphasize love, and they're not doing a whole lot in terms of really influencing building disciples and changing and altering culture. I think we need both. I think we need the Great Commission and the Great Commandment because they're both great, and they are God's Word. Somebody say amen. Point number one, quickly today as we end this series called Reset. We recognize that God has given us the universal church. It is the church around the world, Catholic with a little c. The word Catholic only is a denomination when it's capitalized and preceded by the word Roman, Roman Catholic. That is a denomination. But the word Catholic, little c, very simply means universal. That's why when we say the Apostles' Creed, one holy Catholic church, we're not subscribing to Rome or to a pope, but we're saying that we believe in God's universal church all over the world, out of every kindred nation, tribe, and tongue, out of every people, group, and language, out of every skin color, out of every socioeconomic status. God has a people that he knew before the foundation of the world, and guess what? He knew your face before you were ever a gleam in your daddy's eye. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but gates are not offensive weapons. They are defensive. You've never seen a gate jump off the hinges and chase you. A gate does not hunt people down. A gate is intended to keep people out. The gates of hell, what does that mean? That means that a triumphant church is going to march right down to the gates of hell and kick the doors open and bombard it. And we're going to take the gospel and penetrate the darkness and set lives free that are living right now in hell, right now in 2021 on January 31st. Might be somebody sitting in this room that your life can be described as hellish. It doesn't have to stay that way. And I'm bringing the battering ram of the gospel this morning to kick the gates of hell out of your life. God wants to bring order into your disorder. He wants to bring strength and structure into your chaos. That's what the whole thing is about. In the beginning, the, the, the world was without form and void and dark. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And God penetrated that by saying three words, light, let, or no, two words, light be. Let there be light. In the English, it's four words. <laughs> Got to stop and count. <laughs> we are called to be that light. The the Sermon on the Mount, I've, I've stood there in that area. I've stood there right after Capernaum and my tour to Israel on that 
gentle sloping hill where Jesus fed 5,000, where he stood up and preached three chapters in a, in a sermon that the whole thing might have taken might have taken 18 or 19 minutes. The greatest preacher in all the world. My goodness, I aspire to that. He said more in 20 minutes than I've said in 20 years. And he talked about the, the light, the city that is set on a hill, the light of the world. And he's given that light into a people. It's called the church. And we're to take our light into the middle of the darkness. The scripture says in, in John chapter 1, that there was great darkness and the, the, the darkness comprehended not the light of God. It doesn't mean the darkness didn't understand it. It means it couldn't overtake it. How I many of you know you go out in the country and there's a, a, a cloudy sky and no stars in the sky? You can light a match a mile away and in the pitch darkness you can see that match from a mile away. That's how powerful light is. That's how powerful this metaphor is. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And he has called the church to be both salt and light. Salt has a preserving factor. We restrain and hold back corruption with our presence that is here because we teach and train disciples and we love people. We love people. Now, we can't, we can't make disciples by, by, by putting on our, our church lady look. I was laying in the bed last night and reading and thinking about my message this morning and I had uh, NBC on and the old reruns of Saturday Night Live were playing and I looked over there and it was Dana Carvey and it was the church lady and I had to put everything down and just watch it because it was just hilarious. John Goodman was dressed up as Dana Carvey's mother, the church lady's mother, and they were interviewing Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Who do you look like, Satan? <laughs> This is not in my notes. I don't know why I'm telling it. <laughs> and I just chuckled. <laughs> and I laid there and I thought, man, how much has the church suffered because of that perspective right there? I mean, they're making fun of because they're people who actually act like that. They're folk, they're folk here in town who, who, who put on this holier-than-thou nonsense and look down their noses and have readily got a bag of rocks that they don't throw literal rocks, but they'll sure gossip and they'll call somebody on the phone in the name of, oh, you just need to pray about it. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> Folks, that's not being light and darkness. That's not being salt in the middle of corruption. We have to represent and we have to demonstrate the gospel. We can't do it with a judgmental condemnation spirit. We need to love whatever walks through the door because the gospel is big enough to destroy what's holding people's lives. Somebody said to me one time, says, you know, I just don't know why God just doesn't strike them dead. You know, and I said, you know what? Maybe God cares more about the person than he is offended by what's got them trapped. Maybe God loves that, that poor crack addict. Yeah, I made some bad choices, but the last thing... He or she needs is some holier-than-thou church wagging a finger of self-righteousness in their face. They need somebody to put their arms around them and go, come on, honey, God's great enough. He's big enough. You can break this addiction and you can get set free and you can get your life on the right track. That's what the gospel can do in your life. Hallelujah. We're called to make disciples. Dr. Tim Keller said this recently. I heard him 
in just a real quick little snippet, an interview, he said, you know, I've, I'm, he's a noted historian, theologian in the church. He pastors Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And he said, you know, there were five areas of distinct commitments that the local church, the early church had when it was first moving and working in that first 100 years. And he said, these things are clearly, you can almost see how these things could be divided into the political parties today, but it's a representation of both of them. He said, number one, there was a radical diversity. There was a, there was a racial inclusion. And it wasn't because they just set up some kind of spiritual affirmative action, but there was just the moving of God among all the peoples. Well, all these different people groups, and they were all gathered together, and they loved God, red and yellow, black and white, precious in his sight. And he said, you know what? The other one was there was an intense devotion to the poor. They loved, and they gave, and they sacrificed, and they take, took care of people that were hungry and that were homeless and that were broken. He said they were also just unswervingly committed to rescuing babies that had been deserted on the wall. That was their form of abortion in that day. They would rescue those children. You've seen me do it in our service when we dedicate babies. I, I tell you that the whole concept of raising children comes up from, from the church standing in the gate where the authority of the city was, where the elders of the city were, and they, the, 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 the church elder would raise the child and say, we declare that we bring this baby under our covering. We rescue this child for the sake of the kingdom of God. They were, they were unswervingly committed to, to, to rescuing deserted babies. They were, they were undyingly committed to a countercultural biblical sexuality. In a day when everything was just as wild as it could be, they held up a standard of truth. And fifthly, the last one was civility. They were dedicated to operating in kindness and speaking a word from gentleness and not wrath. Now, if you take those five and examine them, two of those are clearly what the Democratic platform represents. Two of them are clearly what the Republican platform represents. And one of them, neither one of them knows about. And that's the last one, civility. Y'all hearing me this morning? Racial diversity, inclusion, devotion to the poor. That sounds like the Democratic Party. Rescuing babies, commitment to standard of truth and how we live our lives. Sounds like the Republican Party. But civility doesn't sound like either one of them. And folks, the church is going to have to be the example of that. We're called, to be, we're called to be kind. We're called to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do-do, doodly-do-do, Ephesians 4.32. That's a little scripture song we sang, and we threw the doo-doo in there to make it rhyme. I, no, I didn't throw doo-doo in there. I'm sorry. I, 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 I didn't say that right. Do, do, doodly do. <laughs> uh, moving on, okay. <sighs> the church is God's instrument in advancing his kingdom because he hasn't changed his mind. His great commission and the great commandment remain God's mission and God's method to accomplish it. Point number two, quickly. I've got to put this in turbo. I've got to get it from zero to 60 quickly here. The local church, it is called, victory is called to be an expression where there's an environment for growth, accountability, encouragement. None of our staff, we don't raise wife-beater preachers. There are plenty of churches in town that you can go to that the man in the pulpit beats the bride of Christ. You go get a whooping every Sunday. You feel like you hadn't really been to church if, you, if your toes hadn't been stepped on and you've been bloodied. I'm telling you, I'm not a sadist or a masochist. I don't believe in that mess. 
I'm here to tell you and remind you of who you are now in Christ and who you used to be in the world. I'm not going to beat the bride of Christ. I'm not a wife beater. I may wear an athletic t-shirt under this. I may wear a wife beater, but I'm not going to be a wife beater. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? We're to think big and embrace the universal, but we're to start small and we're to express it locally. And every expression of the local church in town should not be identical. Otherwise, God is stuttering. Victory is not just like, sorry to call them Vanderbilt Baptists because it's where they used to be, but Angel Sway Baptist. We love them. I have, I have friends over there. We pray for them. Reed is a friend of mine. Lauren is a friend of mine. People over there that serve in that local church are friends of mine. I love them, care about them. But what they do and how we do it are not the same. There's a whole lot of similarity, but there's enough distinction that, that folk can know that, you know what, this, this is something unique here, just like it's not the same at First Assembly in West Memphis. Are y'all following me today? Come on. The church, the church is God's instrument in advancing his kingdom because he hasn't changed his mind. The great commission and the great commandment remain God's mission and God's method to accomplish it. This moves down from the universal church to the local church, and then it goes even deeper into a substratum into your family because your family is to be salt and light. You are to make disciples out of your children. My beautiful wife used to say, you know, I'm always excited to, do, to, go to, the, to come to the parent-teacher conference night because I get to see why the kids are the way they are. <laughs> now, you might as well laugh, even though that really does put the on us on us. I mean, you, you got a kid that's got an attitude, I guarantee you he's learned it somewhere. Or it's been allowed to foster and grow somewhere. Somebody say Amen. Your family is to be an environment for growth and for encouragement. And please remember the power of your words. You are forming. You are involved in the formation of a soul. From the moment that child comes out of that womb, you are building an awareness and an identity of who that young man and who that young woman is. Are they made in the image of God? Yes. Are, 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 they, are they broken and need, need help? Yes. But if your emphasis is always on what they never do right, you're going to raise an insecure, troubled child. You need to build them up and strengthen them and help them learn how to trust God in faith. The families where we focus on the practical, where we, where we learn to, 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 to develop some discipline and we learn to be accountable. You know, for the longest time, my, my son was... He, he just was so amazed that he could go to the refrigerator and there was always a full prepared thing of sweet tea. And he would just get him some ice and he would pour him some tea. And he hit teenage years and I said, you know what, son, you don't just open that door and that stuff magically appears. Let me show you how to make some tea. You know the adage, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a life. You give him a fish, you feed him for one meal or a day. But you teach him to fish, you feed him for a, life, feed him for a lifetime. And so we... We, we, we want to help our children understand that this stuff doesn't just appear, but, but we have to work. This is, my, this is my family ethos. Trust God, work hard, never quit. And it's that order. You trust God first. And then from that trust, from that basis of knowing that God's got this, you get out there and you bust it like it all depends on you. And then you don't quit because you have the strength of God operating in your life. Somebody. It's the family where you can identify and develop gifts, where you can recognize callings, where you can 
help strengthen character. There are opportunities for serving. Every child needs some chores to do. Guess what? In the family of God, everybody in here needs something to do. We need to all be serving somewhere. Was it Bob Dylan said, it may be the, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. <laughs> now, you know that wasn't any good in terms of my, my uh, impression of Bob Dylan. But you got the message. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to serve somebody. The church is God's instrument in advancing his kingdom. Because he hasn't changed his mind, the great commission and the great commandment remain God's mission and God's method to accomplish it. We have to love people. And it all begins at home. Some folk can't love other folk because they hate themselves. If you, if you love your neighbor as yourself and you hate yourself, your poor old neighbor ain't got a chance. Finally, this morning, and I'm finished, you. We looked at the universal church, the local church, your family, you. This comes down to us as individuals. And I have one thing I want to share quickly, and that is and when we accept our reassignment to reach this delta, our, our mission statement is on the wall. When you come in the building, it's the first thing you see. Victory Church exists to make disciples who honor God and advance his kingdom. Victory Church exists. This is why we're here. We exist to make disciples who honor God and advance his kingdom. And the way we do that is by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and by loving our neighbors as ourselves. In a pandemic, that means putting on a mask because I love my neighbor. In, 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 in the middle of all of the, the, the ridiculous nonsense that is happening on social media, it means that I choose not to continue to divide by putting out these outrageous just vilifying remarks about whatever political party because that's not the answer. We need a revival of love in this nation. And you know what? God loves Democrats. God loves Republicans. I know some of you don't believe that, but he does. And we need somebody that might be God calling. You better answer that thing. <laughs> you understand your shape. This is not mine Really? Can we get it? We have to understand our shape. S-H-A-P-E. This is, this is Dr. Rick Warren. First of all is your spiritual gifts. Do you know that when Christ came into your life, he brought gifts with him, and there are things that are uniquely yours that are not the person sitting next to you. Just right over here, beautiful couple that I love dearly. They've been a part of this church for over 20-something years. Janice and Bedford Little. They're, they're unique gifts to both of them, and they complement each other, and they work together. Now, they're, they're human. I'm sure that he gets on her nerves. I know she never gets on yours, though, right, Bedford? You wouldn't admit it anyway. <laughs> But they work together and they love each other and they've had some hellacious battles. Cancer. All kinds of stuff. Family issues like everybody else in the room. Ain't nobody in the room hadn't had a little bit of all of that. And you love and you keep loving and you don't quit and you live through it. You 
breakthrough to some victory. There's spiritual gifts. H is your heart. There are desires in him that complement the desires in her, but they're not even the same. But there's some things that are the same that God's joined them together. And this amazing couple, my true dear friends, sitting on this front row, so critical to the team in this church, Pastor Jeremy, Heather, my administrative assistant. We, we, we call her the HS, Heather Soto, HS. She's really the Holy Spirit in the group. <laughs> Somebody said, what do you think about this? I said, well, what did the Holy Spirit say? I want to know what she thought. <laughs> if that offends you, just go ahead and get over it, okay? God's not offended. He has a sense of humor. Just look at, look at the, around the room, my gosh. Spiritual. Spiritual gifts. Come on, it'll, it, some of you, you, you you're not going to lose your spirituality because you laugh a little bit. Spiritual gifts, what's in your heart? Thirdly, your, your natural abilities. I'm not mechanical, and I'm not ashamed to tell you. I just, I will tell you, my dad was the most mechanical person I have ever seen in my life. I remember when my dryer went out and I was living on Carlisle and he came over, took the whole thing apart. And when he was finished, he said, hold out your hand. And there was 19 screws that he put in my hand. He said, I said, okay, what is this? Why 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 are they not? He said, you didn't need them anyway. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like going, oh, no, 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 this, this won't work. I'm going to have to get a repairman in here and put this back together. Do you know that dryer, it was already 12 years old. You know, it ran five more years after Daddy fixed it, less 19 screws. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's mechanical. Directions might as well have been in Chinese to him. He didn't read directions. He just looked at it and put it together. Made it work. I'm not. I'm creative. I'm musical. I can, I can take a complex idea and make it simple so people understand it. I've got a teaching gift in my life. I've got a writing gift. I can sing songs. I can make music. But I'm not mechanical. And I'm not ashamed of that. I, I, I revel in what God has given me and I'm thankful for that. And so I've got a piece of equipment. I looked at Scott Grafton who half of the cool things around here he's built. I mean the dude is just... We were kidding in our men's Bible study yesterday, and I'm a little bit close, but I've got to get this because it's so good. We're talking about engineering and perfectionism and all this, and I looked over and I said, well, there's the Six Sigma guy that's the continuous improvement guy that's got everything fitting together because of a micrometer, micro, micro, micrometer or whatever it is, micrometer, or whatever the rest of this message is in tongues. And he's like, he's coming over this afternoon to help me put a piece of equipment together that I just said, hey, it'll probably take you 15 minutes and it'll take me three hours. So come on over and I'll, I'll, I'll take you to, to dinner next time or something. I mean, you know, we've all got some gifts that can bless somebody else. And if I'm willing to share mine and you can share yours, then we can be a blessing to the body of Christ because we've got a different shape. Spiritual gifts, what's in our heart? What are our abilities? Personality, everybody's not a stand up on the platform let me have your attention kind of a person. Some folk are a little quieter. Some folk are a little more introverted. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a blessing of God in that. Sometimes the real thinkers are there, the real intercessors, the real prophetic people are those that are just kind of watching and quiet. You know, everybody doesn't have to be the same. Come on, somebody, help me this morning. And then finally, S-H-A-P-E, your E, your life experiences. We, man, we've got some stuff that we've been through. You know what? There's a whole lot I haven't experienced, but I'm going to tell you some of the stuff I have. I have the right. I was, I was talking to somebody recently about losing a loved one, and I said, you know what? 
please hear this the right way, but I believe I've earned the right to speak to this. I know what it means to, to battle grief and pull it down and to learn how to catch my breath and to choose joy over the pain that I feel. And I believe that all of us have life experiences that authorize us to be able to speak to and help others to get through something a little easier than we might have struggled through. Come on, somebody. Everybody in the room's got a different shape, a different spiritual gift, a desire in your heart, a natural ability that's unique to you, a personality that's not the same as the person sitting next to you, and some life experiences that give you the ability to do what 2 Corinthians 1 says, that we now can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted. We're called to touch the delta. I don't care if there is a pandemic going on. We are still called to be salt and light and to love people. Don't care if you voted or didn't vote for the one in the White House. We are still called to pray for President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris and the houses of Congress and the, the Supreme Court and on and on and on. We are still called to be. It doesn't get suspended because it didn't happen the way you or I might have voted or wanted it to be. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. I'm, I'm a little lengthy today, but I've finished this series and I feel like I have discharged what we call the burden of the Lord. And so every person in the room now, if there's anything that God has pricked your heart or brought conviction or challenged you, if you've never personally crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, just to declare him and make him Lord, Scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, delivered, set free, whole. Heaven is part of that wonderful product of that. I'm grateful for that, a home in heaven. But you know what? He's promised to change our lives on this side of it. If any of that describes where you are this morning and you would just say, Pastor, pray for me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. Would you slip your hand up, please, in this room? Yes, thank you. Father, I just thank you for these people today in this room. I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would help us to reset. Help us, Lord, to look back and thank you. Help us, Lord, to look forward and trust you. Lord, to change our thinking, to recommit, to worship you, to applying your word. Lord, to, to giving to the work of the Lord. Lord, to get ourselves in alignment and agreement with your word and your spirit. And finally this morning, to recognize that you've put us in coach. We've got a job to do. We've got salt and we've got light to influence the people of the world. We ask you, Lord, to empower us, strengthen us, let us love with your unconditional love. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, put your hands together. Amen. Praise God we had some church up in here this morning. Thank you, Pastor.